Hi guys, we're back with a new episode, episode 28, a conversation with Benga Sishan behind The Paradigm. This episode is sponsored by CND Solutions, an ICT company that provides tech solutions for micro and macro scale businesses, organizations and individuals. They've offered the following services but are not limited to website development and hosting, email services, network design, setup and support, antivirus installation and support and more. They are Microsoft and Cisco certified here in Freetown, Sierra Leone. Additionally, they also offer trainings in offices and to individuals, network security and database automation. They have previously worked with Swiss Spirits Hotel, Rockwell Commercial Bank, Ministry of Water Resources and more. To find out more about CND Solutions, check out their website, cndsolutions.net. And also you can email them at info at cnesolutions.net or reach them via mobile at plus 232-76-605-183 and plus 232-76-694-123. They're also found on Facebook at CNE Solutions. Okay, we hope you enjoyed the episode, guys. Bye. Brian. And this is Yasmin Metz Johnson. We, we are Wise Square Pod. Welcome to the podcast, guys. And today we have a chat with a very special person who is visiting Sierra Leone, all the way from Nigeria. His name is Benga Shestan. Welcome, Kushe Kabo. Kabo. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Could you tell us why you are in Sierra Leone? Before you so, tell us who you are. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind. Uh, it's my first time in Sierra Leone, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, surprisingly, surprising for me, uh, actually, because uh, it's really so close. Uh, but I'm, I'm basically here because maybe three things. One, I've always wanted to come uh, to Sierra Leone, uh, especially when, you know, uh, we had uh, Yasmin at our event, and she gave a report about, about Sierra Leone, what was happening in digital rights and all that. And I was very interested uh, in coming around. But also because uh, I've been fascinated by the idea of, um, I wouldn't say smaller countries, uh, but countries that don't have like the hundreds of millions and tens of millions, and how, you know, things get done in terms of not just training for young people but also in terms of policy and in terms of conversations and all that and i also wanted to come and meet the girls at you know at uh you know the the gallop club uh talk to them because i'm very passionate about young people mm-hmm. uh, for obvious reasons um i was a young person myself and as a young oh, person oh you're still young you're still young um, <laughs> i'm a young person <laughs> but when i was much younger uh, i think i benefited a lot from uh listening to people tell their stories right. while they were work in progress mm-hmm. uh not like oh you know I'm now accomplished and this is yeah, my story. No, this mm. is my story as work in progress. So I really wanted to, you know, I have the opportunity that. to talk to, to the girls and also meet people working in the digital rights community in Salon. Nice. All right. So for those listening, could you just briefly tell us what digital rights are and why is it your passion? Digital rights, basically human rights in the digital age. Uh, and it's my passion because as humans, one thing that we fundamentally, you know, desire is dignity and self-respect. Um, I, you know, suffered a bit of disrespect as a young person, denied access to a computer lab myself, and so I can imagine what it feels like for other people to literally be looked down on or feel like someone is looking down on you. So it's about, 
human rights, it's about respect, it's about having access, it's about being able to speak your mind, it's about being able to do what you need to do in a respectable environment in the digital age. Nice. Could you tell us more about um, your initiative that you have? Yes. Uh, so I, I work for Paradigm Initiative, which I started in 2007. And Paradigm Initiative is now a Pan-African um, social enterprise. And we work in digital inclusion and in digital rights. Basically, we're very interested in making sure we train young people, especially underserved young people, uh, so they can, they can get connected to technology opportunities and improve their lives. And we're very interested in policy, in making sure that Africa focuses on a climate of innovation and not a climate of clampdowns and arrests because people are saying things online. And we now have, um, you know, across nine offices in, in, in five countries, Nigeria, where we started, Cameroon, Ghana, uh, Zambia, and Tanzania. Nice. So um, the work that you do, what would you say is your success, uh, success story? What would you highlight? If you have um, I, I think I think the first who I like are the young people we work with. Um, I love to tell the story of famous Esther and all the other kids that were working in 2007, 2008, until even now. Uh, for example, famous was someone who you know came to the program and you know very shy young man, but he was interested in learning how to use computers. Learned how to use computers. Um, at the time, it wasn't a ten-week training program. Now it is. Uh, it was just at the time it was a four-week training program. He learned how to use uh, computers. We had this opportunity with the UK Deputy High Commission, the UK Trade and Investment Unit, actually, and they asked us to send a few students to them, of our students, and we sent them, and he got the internship for three months. While he was there, he heard about another job opportunity in Abuja, and I was, you know, so when he mentioned it to me, I was like, you don't have a degree. Let's not set you up for disappointment. Don't apply for this. But he applied, I mean, because we taught them to be bold. Yeah. Uh, he applied for it. Well, cut the long story short, he was so excited that they sent him a car to pick him up from home with mm. diplomatic plates. So he got to the airport, wow. he flew to Abuja and flew back and didn't really care if he got a job or not. But he did get a job. Oh. While he was on the job, four months later, he told me he was going to resign. And I was like, hmm? are you okay? <laughs> but guess what? He had saved enough money to go to school, oh. resigned four months later, went to school, studied biochemistry, graduated. Now he's an assistant manager in a top five global consulting firm. And that exactly is what I think is the reason why I do what I do. Wow, really amazing. So um, in Sierra Leone, uh, what um, would you say is the best part of your trip so far? <laughs> I'm almost sure that's that's, that's obvious. Uh, <laughs> I think the best part of my trip was the time I spent with the girls. Um, you know, um, getting into the school for me was emotional. Because uh, that was where the trigger uh, experience happened for me. It was when I was in my third year in secondary school that the teacher said I couldn't, you know, use computers. I didn't know how to use them. Um, and, and I decided, you know, someone me decided I was going to learn and teach other people. So it, it felt like that, like I was going back into secondary school. And then I sat with them, listening to them, saying they want to become lawyers, they want to become doctors. I could just tell that the only gap, the only difference between what they are right now and what they will be in the next 10, 15, 20 years would be the kind, exactly, the information. Mm -hmm. They have access to the kind of people they meet yeah. because mm -hmm. if they meet people who keep telling them, I mean, I had a teacher who always said, Ah, you will fail, you will fail. But I had another teacher who, while I was writing mathematics, he would come to my site and write 20 over 20 before I finished with my test, you know, answers. That's so good. And, and well, that, that you know. made me 
love mathematics mm-hmm. so much mm-hmm. that I mean I still see myself as a maths guy by you know by the way just because of Mr. Chukotola. Yeah, oh, just for the the positivity that he was. Absolutely, Brilliant. absolutely. So you can imagine how much fun it was for me to sit with the girls yesterday. Mm-hmm. And then, we have, of course, we had, you know, a few boys in the room, <laughs> uh, you know, to talk about, you know, to share my story and basically mm-hmm. open that one or two or three or maybe more of them will be inspired and say, hey, I can be anything. And I did say to them that they will be greater than me. And I meant that. I wasn't being patronizing because... I started a bit late, mm-hmm. but they have an opportunity now. And they have more tools. They've got social media. Yeah. They've got plug and play internet was what I had. They've got plug and play internet. You know, yeah. you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's unlimited for them. That's good. Well, I, I um, really like how you're an advocate for storytelling. So what are your thoughts on um, digital storytelling? I know that you used to have a blog. Is, is it something you still up to date? Well, so I kind of do micro micro blogging now, okay. <laughs> <laughs> which is the lazy way of saying I don't blog anymore. <laughs> uh, you know, so I, I I do two eighty characters now. I don't do as many as many words. Of course, I still write articles uh, mm. when I you know need to pass across a lot of information. It's very um, time consuming. I feel like people don't know how time consuming creating content. Is. Oh, mm-hmm. it is, it is, it is absolutely. And and the, you know the good news about digital storytelling is that you don't you don't you have you literally have the tools that can help you take information that you need to share with the world to anywhere in the world Mm -hmm. without barriers or gatekeepers. Um, You know, I joke about the fact that I wrote a lot of letters to the editors when I was young. Um, Of course, none of them was acknowledged except maybe just once or twice. Um, And the acknowledgement is always, oh, thank you for writing. I encourage Mm -hmm. you to write more because when you grow older, you'll be able to have an article in the newspaper. But right now, you know, newspapers can't even compete with some of the uh, simple micro, you know, blogging things that many people share. Mm-hmm. You share one tweet and there's a million impressions. You share one newspaper article, which is why newspapers have now also, you know, come online. So I think digital storytelling, I mean, the digital bit of it is an opportunity for us to use a platform that has a lower barrier to entry, mm-hmm. that is cheaper for dissemination, and that people can carry in their pockets. Mm-hmm. Literally. That's good. Um... I wanted to ask about uh, Internet Freedom Forum. So, like, back in 2017, when I met Benga, when I went to Nigeria, I was at the forum um, presenting on Sierra Leone's reports on internet infrastructure and the like. So you've now rebranded to Digital Rights and Inclusion Forum. Do you just want to walk us through that? Yes. So when we started in 2013, um, we did not want to hold a national forum. We just wanted to have a small conversation in Lagos. uh, And incidentally, by 2014, it had grown into a conversation that had not just Nigerians, but two or three people from outside Nigeria. Um, And we kind of tried to keep it as a Nigerian conversation until sometime in 2015, 2016, we realized that, hey, this has gone out of our hands. It's now 35 African countries participating over a three-day period. Uh, and so what we then did was to rebrand it as a Pan-African Forum. Uh, but also the name IFF uh, was also the name of another forum, uh, a festival, really, uh, an Internet Freedom Festival, which started after ours, by the way. Uh, but we thought, you know, instead of being called IFF Lagos and IFF Valencia, let's also, you know, get a new name. And it also happened at a time when we wanted to get our digital rights and digital inclusion practice to come together. Uh, because they're not really different. Yeah. Rights yeah. and inclusion, you know, all work together. So mm. that was why in 2017, it also happened to be the time we started hiring outside Nigeria. Uh, and we became Pan-African. We had Francophone team members. We had, uh, you know, bilingual 
English and French, publications, bilingual uh, forum, and, and so that's why it's now Digital Rights and Inclusion Forum. And the theory behind it is that we cannot talk about rights if we don't settle the African and South Global Southern challenge of inclusion. Right. So we can eat and chew gum at the same time. We can talk about rights and inclusion at the same time, and that's mm -hmm. how we do it now. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, like, for the tech people or people who started, mm -hmm. like you, being denied the access to a computer or anything that seemed less than, like, what would you tell them? What would you advise them in order to, like, solicit grants and stuff? Does mm -hmm. Paradigm Initiative give grants to people in Nigeria? Um, so, we, we don't uh, directly, but indirectly we do. So, we partner mm -hmm. with people, and what we give is more than the resources. What we give right. is in terms of the support, the, the, support, mm -hmm. uh, the mentorship. Right, literally. Yes. We actually have a lot of programs where we have fellowships, where people come into our team, learn with us. Incidentally, some of them have decided not to leave again, to stay back permanently on the team, which is fine. I mean, oh, who doesn't love talent? <laughs> but, but when they choose to join us for a while and then leave, we've seen the difference, that they've gone mm. with them with you know templates, with new ideas, with things that they can also do uh, in their own organization. So right. we, we love the idea of working with people to support them, not just with the money, uh, I mean, because to be honest, um, I, I I used to disagree when people said money was not a problem, but now I know what they were talking about. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that if you work consistently and you continue to provide services uh, and you document the services mm -hmm. and you demonstrate the need for the service and you are known to be dedicated over a period of time to the service, when people need to fund that type of service, and this is the way it works literally, yeah. every funding organization is looking for the biggest bank for their buck. So yeah. they're going to look for the organization that will amplify the work and make them look good. Mm -hmm. And it becomes a partnership. So between, say, for example, the Ford Foundation and the Paradigm Initiative, Ford is happy that we're giving resources to this institution that is doing great work across, across Africa. Pain is happy that we're getting money from Ford Foundation because we're able to focus on the work instead of it's tiring to look for money. It's yeah. very, very tiring. Hmm. Telling us. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it does it does it does get better. And, and I think some some uh, institutions do help. Um, so I tell people that in two thousand and eight when I became an Ashoka Fellow, uh, it was it was life changing for me because the, the fellowship structure is such that you get stipends for three months, I mean for three years. Mm. Um, you literally get <clears throat> excuse me, salaries for three years so that you can focus on the work. Right. What is that? What's that called? Ashoka. A-S-H-O-K-A. -A. Like the Indian tree, yeah. Mm. Ashoka Fellowship. And, and, you know, and, and the good thing about this kind of work is that once you get one recognition, others follow. Yes. It's, it's, just, it's just a law of recognition. Once you get one, less scrutiny is done in getting you on the next right. one mm -hmm. and literally until you become like the darling uh, of, of these institutions because you bring value and having, I mean, of course, institutions that have sponsored, for example, I saw a brochure of, uh, of one of the foundations that had Kofi Annan on the cover. Mm. And I'm like, of course, they're happy that they gave him a scholarship to go to school when he of was a course. young man in yeah. Ghana. And now they can put his picture there and say, he's our scholar. Of course, he's your scholar. And he benefited from it. So it's a win-win. 
It's win-win. Of course. Absolutely. On that, absolutely. On that note of partnerships, um, during your time here in Sierra Leone, yeah. you were a panelist for the Digital Rights Talks that was hosted by our very own Yasmin. Oh, and you spoke, <laughs> you spoke about um, how we as Africans can use the space, the digital space, to amplify our voices. What um, three giveaways would you give the audience on that? How can we best amplify our voices? I think one is to be authentic. Um, and, you know, so I, I talked a bit at, on the panel about not going for what's sexy, but what's mm-hmm. relevant and useful. Right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the sexy stuff, yeah, it's great. Everybody will talk about it. But what's relevant and what's useful? What do you know how to do? What platforms are great for it? That's one. Uh, the second thing is look for like minds and work with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always believed that 10% of a big deal is way better than 100% of a small thing. Uh, you know, we love we love this, it's my thing kind of thing. You know, I'm, I'm in charge. Yeah. I'm CEO of nothingness versus I am part of a big deal. You know, so we need to collaborate. And and the initial thought was that um, resources and opportunities were mutually exclusive for different institutions. But it's not true. If two people come together, they're able to attract more resources, which is the old concept of acquisitions in the private sector. Um, a Facebook will acquire an Instagram because they are taking in the old team, the whole Instagram team. You would acquire WhatsApp because you're checking in the whole WhatsApp team. What you're getting is not just the team. What you're getting are not just the tools. What you're getting is the interaction, the intercourse between the brain of the Instagram team members and the Facebook team members produces offsprings that are way bigger than what you had ever imagined. Uh, and, and the third and the last is to be honest with ourselves in assessment. Uh, we love to pat ourselves on the back and I love celebrations. I love celebrating big wins and small wins and all that. But we need to be honest with ourselves and our evaluation and say, are we really making impact? If we're not making impact, feedback to me. And I love criticism. I call it free consulting. We don't like it a lot. <laughs> but I think it's free consulting because when someone, people take their time to criticize you. Someone will send you a seven-page document on why Paradigm Initiative did not do well at this event. And I'm like, thank you. Yeah. And then we look through doing our quarterly meeting one, two, three, four. In fact, once in a while, we even invite some of those people to come and become advisors uh, on our planning team. And it works, you know. Um, mm. So, you know, be authentic, work with people, and get realistic feedback and make use of it. Right. I agree. Very good advice. Um, when you came um, to Vine and talked to the girls and the invited school children who are also boys, you talked about seeing the future, that you knew, already knew what Paradigm Initiative would become. So, you know what my next question is. You saw the future with Paradigm Initiative 13 years later. Here we are, 2020. What do you see another 13 years from now? 13 years from now, I see myself out of the picture completely. Uh, maybe they'll allow me to be on the board. I don't know. Uh, but one thing is clear. Um, by 2027, which is only seven years from now, Paradigm Initiative will be a sustainable organization that can run its programs even if there's no external funding uh, because we're working towards that. And it's really important for you to be able to work uh, without the encumbrance of you know looking for money to pay salaries and things mm-hmm. like that. It can, be, it can be very disheartening to see people work with passion and not be able to reward them uh, adequately. So, you know, we're investing towards uh, an endowment fund that can help us do that. Uh, we also know how to do lean stuff. Like, we can do a lot of stuff with little resources. And so, as, as a lean organization, we're able to, to do that. And so, in 13 years, the two key things I see, number one is our digital inclusion program will be 
deepened a lot more in Nigeria. We can work in a lot more schools. I see us with mobile internet units, with that buses that have computers driving from one location to the other instead of students coming to our centers. Our centers can only feed 99 students mm. per session. And three sessions a year means you get less than 300. But these buses can go around with volunteers and a facilitator and literally deliver these things where the students are. And with our digitalized campaign, I see us as experts advising governments across the continent on how to move away from the spirit and terrible atmosphere of clampdown to a climate of innovation. Okay, that's really good. Um, I know you're a big reader and you're a big fan of Ikigai. Oh. Um, <laughs> would you like to share what you're reading currently uh, that would motivate other people to read like you? So I started a year uh, by reading about Ikigai uh, and then I've fallen back on reading another book that I found again uh, about Ikigai. And it's basically a concept of the convergence between, you know, what you love to do, what you have the skills to do, what the world needs and what you will be paid to do. And when you find these four things come together, somewhere in the middle is the sweet spot where you love what you do. You're literally having fun. You're making impact. You're being paid for it. And of course, you never want to resign from it because you love you love to do it. Uh, and, and I really want to challenge people to read a bit more about purpose. Uh, I know I love to read the, you know, you know uh, economic theory, political theory and all that. But at the end of the day, and this, this is what I've learned from the many fellowships I'm part of, after you've accomplished a lot, one of the last things you come back to is yourself. Mm-hmm. Your sense of balance, your sense of accomplishment versus your sense of, uh, you know, uh, wellness and fulfilling purpose and being relevant and being able to say that, yes, I was able to do one, two, three, four, five, six things. But in the midst of doing this, I didn't lose myself. I didn't become, you know, distanced, you know, from the reality between what I can do, what I can get done as an individual, and what makes me happy internally. It would be great if there's a correlation between the impact I have in the world and the joy that I enjoy on the inside. And it's all about purpose, finding what you love to do, what the world needs, if it pays the bills, great. And these days, anything can pay the bills. That's true. That's, That's true. true. In this day and age, anything's possible. Um, you talked a lot about purpose, and that was a big takeaway for me. Um, I know what you do. You do what you do now because you were denied being uh, in a computer lab in your secondary school days. But who would you say or who would you attribute to being your mentor, like your rock during this these hard times? So um, I, I read a lot about Ben Carson. Not the Ben Carson politician. Yeah. <laughs> the Ben Carson gifted ants, the doctor then. Uh, mm. To be honest, you can distinguish between both. But I, 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 just, I just sort of have to because I don't agree with his, new po- with his politics, with Same. his political side. But uh, I do very much agree uh, with the sense of purpose that came with his medical career. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read a lot about Wole Shoyinka, uh, who was a Nobel Prize winner mm-hmm. and an activist. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wow. So you can combine both, be a world-class global career, you know, person, and at the same time be an activist in local issues. And that, that obviously tells, in, you know, in the things that I do uh, right now. And, and you know, there, there, there is also the fact that uh, when I was, you know, uh, the time that I was coming of age, literally, was about the time when Mandela was a big deal around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for me, so, uh, Long Walk to Freedom mm-hmm. was literally... 
uh, a textbook on purpose. Like, how on earth does a man who, after 27 years, should just literally face trying to save his own family, still be concerned about solving his own national problem? So these are some of the people uh, that I read a lot about. And, and, and they really, you know, drove uh, home many of these things to me. And there was also a book. Uh, it was a blue cover. Yeah, God's Generals. Uh, the story of many people in... I love church history. You know, I read a lot about, about church history. Uh, well, in many cases, because at the time, churches were focused on social missions. And, and, and that part of it really touched me. Like, it wasn't just about the religion. It wasn't just about the, you know get this person to do to do that. It was about the value that you brought. It was about the education. It was about the health missions. It was about being able... So I read a story of uh, a lot of people, men and women, Catherine Kuhlman and all of them, uh, in, in Coast Generals, and I just thought to myself, man, these this people didn't live for themselves. They literally lived for others. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and in living for others, they and their families literally live for themselves. Uh, and so it was, you can imagine the impact he had on me when I listened to Wally Shoenka and people asked him and said, why do you do all these things? Why do you join every protest? Why do you, you know, shout at governments and things like that? And he said, oh, it's a very selfish thing. I do it for my internal peace because I love my peace. And when anything goes around me in my community that goes wrong, I have to speak up to get calmness outside so I can have peace inside. And I'm like, this is enlightened self-interest. And this is what I would do. Wow. Do you have any other questions, Yas? I don't. I'm taken aback. (laughs) (laughs) Just taking it all in. Okay, so uh, last thing. Is there anything you would like to share with us that's happening later in the year that you'd like to plug? We love to plug our guests. So please feel free to plug yourself shamelessly at that. And your socials after any events that happen. Yes, I'll I'll do my socials first. (laughs) Just in case you cut the other part off. (laughs) I'm Agbenga Chesson everywhere. Uh, I try to claim my name on every platform before anyone else does. I mean, I think my, my biggest real estate is, is online. You know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, everywhere. It's at Benga Chesson. And that's, that's literally where I live. Uh, but in terms of what's happening at the end of the year, um, I always look forward to October. Uh, I always look forward to October for one big reason. Because that's the month that we do our regional workshops. Uh, that's the one time in the year. I mean, I get a chance to go to different countries to talk to host workshops and all that, but that's one time when I travel across the African region um, to be able to teach what I know best, which is ICT policy, digital rights, and all that. This year, we're doing the Francophone workshop in Abidjan. Uh, we're having the Anglophone West Africa in Banjul. Hmm. And <laughs> Banjul. <laughs> and you're in Freetown, exactly. Hmm. I think Freetown is next. And then we have the Eastern Southern African workshop in Lusaka. Um, Wait, I'm more confused because you said it's the Francophone. No, no the Francophone, Francophone is, is happening in Abidjan. Abidjan. The Anglophone yes. West African is one in is the one that is in Banjul. And uh, the Eastern Southern Africa combined uh, is in Lusaka. Zambia. Okay. Lusaka in Zambia. Okay. Wow, all Perfect. the best with that. Yes. Thank you. And thank, thank you. you so much thank for you. your time and coming to Sierra Leone. But y'all, I have to tell you, so we went to this uh, restaurant today after our meeting at the State House, and I was trying to get Benga to have some jollof. Hey, my people, they disappointed me, so I could not, you know, push our oh, agenda. that's why you're asking me. I know, yeah. but it's okay. I mean, I will see Benga probably in the space sometime soon, and I will bring jollof to him. And I hope by the time you be able to prove what can't be proved. Which is that Salon Jollof is the best. Okay, so you can 
Get our content as usual at Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. All right. Bye. Bye, guys.